Welcome to the Second Students Podcast. My name is Daniel, and we are continuing our series of I Live For This. This week, Randy talks about what it looks like to be a living sacrifice for Jesus and what are the things that we live for in our world today. Our prayer is that God would use this podcast to speak to you at wherever you are in your walk with Christ. Now, I hope you enjoy week three of I Live For This. Thinking about that statement, I live for this. And so I'm just going to kind of pose a deep question, just ask a deep question for just a moment. We'll just get deep from the beginning. And, and the question is this, what do, you, what do you live for? I mean, if you really think about that question, what is it that you, you live for? Because that's a question that I've even been asking myself as we've gone through this series of we've, as we've talked about people who have been living for their faith and even dying for their faith, it causes me to think, man, what is it that I, like, what do I live for? And um, it's actually a question that I, uh, I asked my, uh, my son a few nights ago because I was pondering this and thinking about this message. And so I was like, no, I'm just going to, every once in a while, like when I'm thinking about um, God's word and just contemplating things. I'll ask like my wife and my kids. And so I have a little five-year-old boy and I decided, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask my son this deep question, right? What do you live for? And so I'm going to show you guys, this is Mason, this is my son, and this is his response. Okay, here's the question. What? Mason, what do you live for? What do I work for or live for? What do you live for? What does that even mean? You know what that means? No. What do you think it means? What do you live for? I live for to- my my favorite toys. Which is what? Um. Oh, let's see. Let's see. What? What's your favorite toy? This one, um, my, my, um, my guns. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, so yeah, so we just, we just moved from Oklahoma and we've already been in Texas for too long because Mason's favorite toys are his guns. And so, uh, so I guess it's just a Texas thing. Just so you know, he doesn't have real guns. He's got toy guns and he does have a pretty, uh, pretty awesome rubber band gun he likes to shoot his sister with. I've got a little uh, three-year-old daughter that he likes to chase around. But when I ask him this question, it's so interesting because his first response is like, he's like, what does that even mean? I'm like, that's a really good question. It's like, what, what does that mean? And then his response, when he thinks about like what he lives for, it's his, it's his toys, right? Like he thinks about his toys. And to be honest, you guys, that's literally like when he wakes up in the morning and when he goes through life, it kind of revolves around what he's going to play with, right? He goes to pre-K here, but let's just face it, like pre-K is pretty much playing anyway. So like his life, like he lives for like playing with his toys and he loves his guns. And so, you know, that's his thing. Um, some of you guys um, don't, don't need, need guns. So um, that's a whole nother thing. But living for something, like for Mason, it's, it's his toys because his world revolves around that. And for us, like when you think about that question, what do you live for? Really, what does your life revolve around, right? What is your life consumed with? When you wake up in the morning, like, what is it that you need in your day? Literally, like, if somebody came to you and said, I'm going to take this out of your life, 
What would that thing be that if somebody said, you no longer can have this in your life, that you'd be like, life is no longer worth living if I can't have that? Because what we've been looking at is people who are following Christ in this incredible way and they love Christ so much that when somebody tells them that you either have to choose Christ and die or you renounce your faith and you can live, they literally say, I don't want to live if I can't live with Jesus, if I can't live with my faith. And you guys, to me, that's, that's crazy. But, but, but here's what I want us to look at for just a moment is these are people who are willing to die for their faith. And we've read stories about people who were bricked into walls and died in a wall. People who were shot and killed for their faith, right? Who would rather die than renounce the name of Jesus. And when I hear that, to me, I'm like, that's, that's crazy. I'm, it, it's crazy because they would rather die than to go on living without Jesus in their life. But here's the thing, before they were willing to die for their faith, they lived for it. They lived for it. And, and I've been reading all these stories, and one story that really has kind of shaken me up is a story um, in the 1950s in Moscow, Russia. Um, communism is taking over, and um, it's illegal to be a Christian. And there's these three pastors who decide to do this youth conference. They decide they're in Moscow. They're like, we're going to gather all these students together who are meeting in house churches because there's not like a church building you can go to. And these three pastors think, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get all these students together, 600, 700 students. We're going to meet and do like a week-long conference in Moscow, Russia, where it's illegal to gather together. And people thought they were crazy. They're like, how are you going to gather all these students together and not get caught by the authorities? not get thrown into prison. And in fact, they gathered together. These pastors start reaching out to these students, these young people that are scattered throughout Russia. And they're like, come to this conference. And they wind up gathering, right, almost 700 of these students. And these pastors actually get thrown into prison. But what's interesting about the story is all of these young people gather together. And these pastors have an idea. They said, this is what we're going to do. Over this week, we're going to see how much of the Gospels, how much of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see how much of these first four books of the New Testament you as students can recreate from memory. That's what they were challenging these, these young people to do. Over the course of a week, they were going to meet together, and just from memory, they were just going to write down whatever, whatever passages they had memorized. They're just going to start writing it down. And at the end of the week, they were going to see how much of these four books of the Bible they could, they could recreate. And at the end of the week, the week after, this, after meeting together for a week, they had recreated all of the book of Matthew, they had recreated all of the book of Mark. All of this is from memory. They'd, they'd recreated all of the book of Luke and all of the book of John with only a half dozen mistakes is what I read. And I, honestly, I read that and I think, there's no way. There's no way that could happen. It doesn't seem possible. You think about students, I think about us, like if we in this room, if I said, okay, students, tonight what we're going to do, get out a pen and paper, we're going to see how much of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from memory we can write down and see how much of these gospels we can recreate. If we added a few more hundred people in here, I wonder like how much could we recreate? You know, like some of us is like, I got John 3.16 down, like I know that one, right? But it's like, how much more could we recreate? Like could we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if we added a couple more hundred people in here? And you guys, I think, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if we get very close. I honestly think we'd do a better job if we tried to recreate like, like, 
The Office on Netflix or something. Like, hey, just recreate like how the Office episodes go. It's like, oh yeah, I know the yeah, episode one, episode two. I was talking, or like some Disney show, if it was like a Disney movie that we grew up watching, it's like we could probably like recreate that. I was talking to Daniel this week, telling him that story, um, and just talking about how like I feel like I memorize more movie lines than I do scripture sometimes, and Daniel told me that at one point when he was young, he had all of Finding Nemo memorized. Like he could watch Finding Nemo and quote every bit of the movie. He had just watched it over and over again. How many of you guys watch movies like over and over again? Just raise your hand, right? I'm in that world right now with my kids. It's like Tangled is like, or Frozen, it's like over and over again. I'm like, we've got to watch something else, right? But it's like these students, right, they lived, for, they lived for the Bible, and that's what they knew, and they could recreate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because their life was consumed with it. And I wonder, what is our life consumed with? What is your life consumed with? What could you recreate if we asked you to recreate something from memory? And so I want us to think about something tonight. What does it look like to live for Christ? What does that look like for us? If you're in this room and you say, I'm a believer, what does that look like for us? To be passionate, to get to a point where we're willing to die for our faith? Like, that's crazy. And the question is, that what we live for should not be something that we answer on our own because there's a lot of students, maybe even this room, you're trying to answer that for yourself. You're trying to say, okay, well, I'm going to live for this or I'm going to get this job. My life's going to revolve around this. And to be honest, you guys have to remember you were created in the image of God to bring him glory, to worship him. And so really when we think about this question, what we live for, what we should look at is this book. We should look at the word. And so I want... I want to share two verses with you tonight. That's it, just two verses. And you guys, then we'll wrap up. And these verses, the first one, it's in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to share Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up there. They're going to be on the screen. But it's two verses with you. And the whole idea here is what do we live for? What what do you live for? And if you say that you're a Christ follower, what is it that your life should look like? And Romans chapter 12 gives us this great description of what our life should look like. And so it says this in verse 1. Some of you may be familiar with this passage. It says this. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. I just want, can we just leave that on the screen real quick? Because I want to I look at this verse. First of all, when we think about worship in this room, maybe in this room when you think about, man, I worship God, you think about just the songs we just sang and you thought, man, we just went through a time of worship, right? But in reality, from reading this verse, Paul's not telling us, God's word's not telling us, this is your spiritual worship, the songs that you sing on Sunday morning, right? What Paul is telling us, what God's word is telling us is that our spiritual worship is this act of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is actually kind of creepy, right? But it's this idea, right, that our spiritual worship, if we've come in this room to worship God, it's not the music that prompts us to worship. In fact, we bring the worship to the music, Right, because of the way that we live our lives, because our life is completely devoted to God. When we enter this room, it should be this process of, man, I'm bringing the worship into this room because my life is completely devoted to God. It's interesting, right? He says this act of spiritual worship, this happens, right, as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's, it's kind of like a, what do you call it, like an oxymoron, right? It's like living sacrifice, right? It's like, how do you do that? 
All right, Paul's writing this letter. If you've read any of the Bible in the Old Testament, there's these sacrifices that take place. Maybe you've read it and you've actually stopped reading the Bible because you're like, yeah, they like killed a bull and it was really gross. And so like, I was like, I don't want any more with that, right? It's like, that was sick. Or they killed a goat and I love animals. So, so um, some of that may have creeped you out. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, there were these sacrifices, right? And you would bring, if we were living back in those days, we would bring these you would bring, literally, you'd bring, like, your favorite lamb to, like, the altar. You'd be like, man, you know, it's like, here you go. I'm going to bring him up here, and you'd take him to the altar, and you'd give him to the priest, and, and the priest would, you know, be, be kind of gross. And you would offer this lamb. You would give, like, your best lamb, and you would lay it on the altar, and then that lamb would die completely. You wouldn't get it back, right? I mean, that's the people who are hearing this. They're, they're realizing, like Paul's telling them, you are to present yourself as a living sacrifice, which the imagery here, what it, should show, what, what it tells us is that we bring ourselves, if you're in this room and you are a follower of Christ, you bring yourself to the altar and you say, all that I am, it belongs to you, God. All that I am is yours. And, and here's where I think we miss it sometimes is because so often when we come to Christ, when we come to God and you hear this message of truth that Jesus died on the cross for you, what we do is we come to the altar and so often we want to take from the altar. When, when you made a decision to follow Christ, it's because, man, I want a better life here, or I want my circumstance to be better. So you came to the altar, and you said, I want something, but that's not the imagery that God wants us to see. In fact, when we give our life to Christ, it's this, it's this time of saying, God, all that I am belongs to you now, and it's whatever you want for my life. I don't, I don't want control anymore. And as we bring our lives into this room, into God's presence and say, God, my life completely belongs to you. You can have everything, even if it does cost me my life someday. That's what worship is. And, and when, you're, when you come to a point where you're completely surrendered to God, that's when you can say, man, I live for this because it's whatever God wants. And here's what's interesting, right? How do we get to that point, working up this verse, right? It says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that's such a weird statement. By the mercies of God, Paul is urging the believers, these people who have heard about Jesus, to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Because we sit in this room and we're like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. Like, I don't want like, my whole life to belong to God. Like, what prompts us? And, and here in this room, I'm urging each one of you, like, will you present your body as a living sacrifice? Will you give your life completely to God? Why? Why would we do that? And here's the why, right? It's because, right, by the mercies of God. If you know anything about mercy, Right, if you know anything about mercy, mercy is you not getting something that you do deserve. That's what mercy is. When somebody withholds something that you deserve, that's mercy. For example, we come into this room as imperfect individuals and our sin separates us from God. And here's what's great is God doesn't pour out his wrath on us. That's mercy. And if you read through the book of Romans, right, some of you, maybe you heard the Roman road, right? Paul is presenting this idea of salvation. He's presenting the, the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And you come to a point in Romans 6.23 where he explains, right, that the wages of sin is death, right? Basically saying like all of us, what we've earned because of our imperfections is this separation from God. It's death. But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what mercy is, right? God, even though we deserve wrath, God steps in and says, you know what, I'm not, I don't want to pour out my wrath on you. Instead, what I want to do is I want to give you this gift. I want to give you Jesus. 
instead of pouring out my wrath, I want to, I want to give you Jesus. And in giving you Jesus and him paying this penalty, it'll actually give you eternal life. And it's this great gift. And, and it's really that gift as we begin to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that God withheld his mercy from us. And that because of that sacrifice on the cross, we now have this gift of eternal life. It's that, it's that sacrifice that should, that Paul is urging and that I urge you as you reflect on that to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what should compel us. Jesus died on the cross and that sacrifice should compel us to say, God, you, you died on the cross for me. My life belongs to you. And then the second verse, and then we've got to wrap up. The second verse says this in uh, Romans chapter 12, right? So we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual worship. And the second verse is this. It says, do not be conformed to this age. And some of you have heard this before. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by a renewing, by, by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. All right, what is... What is he saying here is as we lay our life as a living sacrifice, he's saying don't conform to this world. Do you realize the world is going in a direction that is away from God? I mean, every day when you wake up, right, if you're not making a stand for God, you're going with the flow of this world. And to be honest, the world is going away from God. And we have to be careful because before we know it, we can look back and think, man, my life looks a lot like the world and not a whole lot like this living sacrifice that God is talking about. And he's saying don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. Be transformed. I wonder in this room, for those of you who have said, I'm a believer, I wonder how many of you would say, my life is transformed. Because I looked up the definition, and this is what the definition of transformation is. It says, to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. How many of you would say, man, I've given my life to Christ and there has been a thorough and dramatic change in the way I live my life? Because I have to look at my own life and think, God, has there been a dramatic change? Has there been transformation? Because I'm convicted when I read these stories of these people who have given their life for Christ in like the most hostile of environments, like it, it's transformation. There are people, these are, there are stories that I read of people who followed a different religion, maybe they were Muslim, and they decide to become Christian, and their whole family, right, turns their back or even persecutes their own child because their child becomes a Christian, because their life is transformed. And, and I read about Christians in China that are literally trying to hide because they believe in Christ, and it's crazy. We talk about wanting to share our faith so that the church will grow. And I read about the church in China and they're trying to hide and the church is growing because their life is being transformed. And when God is working and transforming, you don't have to go and tell people like, hey, you need to follow Jesus. People will see your life and be like, dude, there's something different about this person. There's a thorough and a dramatic change taking place here. And when that happens, there are people who are like, I, I, I wanna know what's going on with that. I want, to know, I want to know what's happening there because that's transformation. And I love what it says, right? Because when you're transformed, there at the end of verse 2, it says, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. As you become transformed, you begin to find yourself in the will of God, <laughs> in his plan, and it's a beautiful thing. 
I think there's so many of us in this room maybe that are searching for that. God, what is your plan? God, I live for this. What am I living for? And I'm telling you, students, you want to live for God's plan. He created you. In his image, you are, in fact, in Ephesians, it says you are his workmanship. Right? Created before time. Created for good works so that you would walk in them. God has this plan for you. Will you allow him to transform your life and not be conformed to the world? And something powerful happens when you allow that to take place. And the truth is, tonight, God wants to transform your life, your heart, and it's even so much bigger than you. You see, God wants to work through you to reach this community. You guys, it starts at the altar, being willing to say, God, my life belongs to you.